G'day everybody, it's Dan Steers from Double Dan Horsemanship and welcome back to episode three. So we've now officially launched the Double Dan's podcast and we've been getting some great feedback. I'm here with Kim Hagen in Kim Hagen's lab room. How are you doing, Kim? I'm good, mate. How are you going? So we're usually in the Double Dan's studio, but we're now, I've commuted to your place. The ability to bring technology over to the east is unsurpassed. You are, you're high tech. High tech and we've brought the gear over. We're sitting in the lab. In the lab. Can you explain it to us? Oh, this is the nerve center of the Hagen's equine reproductive work that we do with horses and I stress with horses and this is where we do our embryo transfer, our semen work and preparing our semen for frozen and for chilled shipping and this is where it happens, mate. You are blessed to be in here, I'm telling you. <laughs> you use the word semen way too many yeah. times. I'm slightly afraid. And ultraviolet lighter to be a horror scene in here. Yeah, okay. i so, you that much. So we won't be turning the lights <laughs> off then, that's for sure. Well, anyway, mate, like I said before, it's officially been released and we're getting some great feedback. I want to share, I guess, or do a few special shout outs to some of the people that have been reaching out to me that I know. And hopefully for anybody out there that's listening, I want you guys to share on your socials, I guess I'm going to say Facebook, but all on your socials, share our podcast, get it out there, tag us in it, and then we'll give you a special shout out as well. So I had Warwick Chiller, he was messaging me flat out as he was listening to it. He was just loving it. I told him we're going to get him on the podcast after we get through a bit of history. I had Linda McCallum. She also has been messaging me and also her partner, Jim, he was on the 90 or Nothing podcast. Yeah, yeah, good one. It was fantastic. He's a great storyteller. So anybody out there listening, get onto the 90 or Nothing. We also had the producer of 90 or Nothing, Paxton Pulford. He's also messaged in and really enjoyed it. Bex Acosta, which is actually one of Dan James's ex-girlfriends, but she was a good friend of both Pierre and myself before... I guess she met Dan and still is a good friend of ours. So thank you back for the messages of support. Courtney Liu was another one in WA. Brandy Phillips, who's an amazing trick rider in the States. She gave us a bit of a, I guess, a plug and tagged us in some stuff. She really enjoyed it. And good then the, work, Brandy. Yes. And then the funny one is my brother, who's not horsey, and he is loving it in the fact that not only does he enjoy it from the entertainment side of things, but also he, these are stories he's got no idea about. That's the guy. Yeah. So to my brother, thank you for tuning in as well. That's a good spread. Yeah. So just to clarify, if you're out there and you're listening, please share on your socials, get this stuff out there, get the podcast out there and then make us aware of it. And we'll give you a special mention as well. On this episode, we're going to be covering 2009, which was quite a big year for us. That's where we officially become Double Dance. Yeah. So that's where we got named Double Dance, as well as that's why we moved over from the West to the East to do Sydney Royal was the main show. And when you came to Australia. Came to Australia, the East Coast, yeah, from Western Australia. Good point. It does what it feels like. Yeah. It's so a fair travel. It is a fair travel. And we're going to talk much more. There's plenty of other shows as well. The other funny thing is that also there's been a little bit of a joke with Dan James and I that I've been his longest relationship. So I thought it was a bit of a funny thing to start with. I did ring Elizabeth last night (laughs) and I did a fun couples quiz. So she answered the questions and I answered the questions. We're going to get Dan James on the line and then we're going to get him to do the quiz as well. We're going to find out which one he knows better. 
Yeah, nice. Let's settle this once and for all for the listeners. This is a recipe for disaster. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'll get some stuff. If I was a bit more tech savvy, I would have had some of these buttons over here that I would have used to actually have her pre-recorded responses and I could have pressed them and we could listen to it. But I'm not that savvy just yet. That's okay. You've got them annotated. It'll be right. Yeah, and we're only in episode three, but I did record it and she's really nervous that she believes that Dan James, after doing the quiz, I don't think so. I think it's going to be pretty close, but she's nervous that he's going to know me You've better than her. It, haven't you? No, because Dan hasn't done yeah, the quiz, okay, so I can't sure. do it. Yeah, no, all yeah, I've done yeah. is I've filled it out honestly yeah. and she's filled it out honestly. And then so we've got to get Dan on the line. And then we can sort of clarify it once and for all. So Happy days. And I don't mind however it swings. To be honest, I probably prefer yeah. if it's Elizabeth because <laughs> it's going to be slightly weird. I think it would be sensible if it was Elizabeth the winner. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's, everybody involved. Yeah. Let's, let's just, get him on the line then, eh? That's the guy. Call the big fella. All right, Kim, we got Dan James on the line. You there, Dan? Yeah, mate. Good morning. Well, <laughs> good morning here. Good evening there, boys. G'day, mate. And a very happy and or reverential Anzac Day to you, mate. Yes, it is Anzac Day here in Australia. And we're only just talking about it. It's the PM here in Australia. So Dan was just asking us, I guess, off the air whether we were on the rum or not. And the answer is yes, because I was also talking before we got DJ on the line that we had a few shout outs and one of them was Warwick Schiller. And he actually asked that. He's like, when's episode three? When's episode three? And I said, oh, we're about to record it. And he's like, is it going to be your PM or your AM? And I'm like, what does that really matter? He's that keen. And I don't know what I said. And he said, no, all I meant was, will you be drinking rum or will James be drinking rum? (laughs) So he's obviously listening really well. Put a little side note in there. If he hears the podcast and doesn't get back in touch with me, next time I'm going to punch him in the throat. Oh, oh, there you go. There's a nice little <laughs> shout out there for you, Warwick Schiller. Make sure you call Dan James back, by the way. But yes, yeah, so as we're going through, it's Anzac Day. We got up and did the dawn service. It was really different being the COVID-19. So they were asking us here in Australia to just go to the end of your driveway and light a candle, be there and listen to it on the radio. Our driveway, there's no one really there. So we went down to the end of the road and took the kids down there and I sent the drone up as well and had a little look about when the sun was coming up, which was pretty cool. And it was really nice for the kids. And then they walked home and I got to drive the car home, which was also nice for dad. And got them quite nice and warm because they were freezing apparently when they got home. You left them to walk back. Well, who was going to drive the car? Oh, exactly. You're only, you know, <laughs> you're a kind fella. Yeah, so I had to do the gentlemanly thing and drive. No, the- that, in seriousness, there were some really special tributes to the Anzacs today, and you know, you catch it on the news because you, know, you couldn't go past the end of your street, basically. Yeah, but some really beautiful stuff. I agree. I think it was actually and some good stuff on telly. Yes, some we watched really good war histories, a lot of news, and it was, if not a little bit more special. Yeah. for it to be different. And my nephew, and there's a shout out to Mitchell Steers, which Dan James knows. Mitchell, he actually played the piano in one of our performances performances in WA and he went out and did Anzac Day and was on the sax. Last post. Last post, sorry. I said last stand, didn't I? Jimmy Barnes did the last stand. Last post. Thank you for clarifying that. And yeah, and it was cool to see him and his brother there and was, I had sort of a little tear in the corner of my eye watching the video. It was was quite nice. The other thing, Dan James, you just mentioned when we weren't recording too, that you woke up a little earlier this morning. You had a little bit of trouble with the kids. Is that right? Yeah, mate, they decided to, uh, I mean, it's not uncommon for Jesse to get up about five, but it's a little bit uncommon for the two of them to be up quite that early. So, yeah, we've been up and at it here in the James home for a while this morning. 
So you're implying that Jesse James is a bit of an outlaw? <laughs> he read. Whoa. <laughs> Took the words straight out of my mouth, Tim. Talking about Anzac, do you guys have any family or anything at Gallipoli? I didn't know. No, I didn't. I've actually got a couple of very close friends who have been involved with more recent service and reading and hearing some of their stories is really touching and emotive. It's amazing. But I was actually thinking, I spent a moment thinking about you and your old man, DJ, and his time serving. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that and we, I think we had three like fairly close relatives at Gallipoli. And then, of course, in the light horse and light horse charge that went there against the Turk. Well, Pierre's family, she had a few in the Second World War as well. I'm not too sure about the Gallipoli side, but one of the stories from your dad, James, that I loved hearing from him, and your dad had some amazing stories, was when he was in the army and he was traveling across the Nullarbor. And for those that are listening that aren't from Australia, <laughs> the Nullarbor is just a long, straight piece of road that you'll be on for a few days. It was dirt back then too, so it was just a gravel road. And he was talking about traveling in those open jeeps in a big convoy, oh, dear. just swallowing dust. And he was saying they did a 500-mile detour just to get out of the convoy and get away from the dust. 500 mile. Unbelievable. And imagine that. Imagine being on that convoy, and they weren't probably doing 100 k's back then. They are probably doing 60. Oh, and shaking Imagine the suspension on the bad boys. <laughs> yeah. And Coppin just oh. corrugation. Oh, be hideous. The other funny story. We you don't off- know whether the throttle the bloke, he said, I know a 500 mile detour. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And everyone's like, you had me at detour. Yeah. <laughs> everyone's like, I don't care how long it is, you had me at detour. One of the other funny stories, but this is totally off topic, about George, which is Dan James's dad. And just to put it in perspective for everybody out there, Dan's dad was 63 when James was born and Dan's got a younger sister. So he's a bit of a stud. Mm. But anyway, we're at his place and it actually does fit in because it was in 2009 and we went up there and we stayed. We did a show in Kingaroy and he was pretty excited to have little Dan James back home and he had a few jobs for Dan James. So how old would you have been then? In his 90s anyway, or late 80s. Late 80s he would have been. He would have been in his 90s by then. Yes. So he's there and he's had a little fencing job and they lived on this like little (laughs) rocky ridge and I was helping out as well. And I'm banging in this star picket, you know, by hand with a little rammer. And it's not going anywhere. Like if it was Dan and I would have just said, Dan, this is ridiculous. A but familiar noise of ting. I'm there and George is sitting in a little deck chair not too far away watching us hard at work and I'm just like just going through the motions. This thing's not penetrating the ground. <laughs> it's gone boom, just vibrating. Anyway, it's a bit hard of hearing obviously at 90. And he says, uh, he goes, Danny. And I'm like, yeah, George. He said, is the ground a little bit hard? And I said, yeah, George. And he says, my feet are vibrating. Let's <laughs> <laughs> go. And I was just like, yeah. But he didn't say stop or we'll get a little bit of water or yeah, whatever. Put your back into it. Yeah, he just was just like, just wanted to mention that he knew. He was well aware. So that was one of my fond memories. Let's go. One of my favorite things that he always used to say, like not at the time, like it's only like looking back on it now. Like it would be hot out. And as kids, now we go, oh, geez, that's hard. You have to do this. And his favorite thing was, well, if you just worked a little faster, you'd create your own breed. <laughs> oh, I've heard that before. <laughs> nice. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, anyway, to bring us back onto topic, Dan. As you're a little bit aware, because you know that I called Elizabeth yesterday, I thought we'd do things a little bit different 
and we normally have a catch up, but this is episode three. So one of the jokes which I talked about with Kim as we did the introduction was that I'm your longest relationship you've ever had. And so what I wanted to do to test that was do a fun little couples quiz. And when I first Googled this, a lot of them had some sexual questions in there. So I ruled those ones out because I didn't think that was appropriate. Cool, Joy. Yeah. So I've just done, I've got a little fun one. And what we're going to do is you're going to do them for both Elizabeth and I. In, in fairness, James, have you spoken to Elizabeth about this? Has she divulged any answers? No, she's 100% on Sears' side when it comes to this. Like, as I go down the, the path of this, I, I feel like the only person that doesn't end well for is me. Because yeah. <laughs> either which way I lose. No, I did back you, buddy. I do think Elizabeth's going to come all right. It, it's not too hard. It's lighthearted. It's just a bit of fun. So we'll start with Elizabeth first, okay? So she's answered them. And then you're going to go through and... I noticed that we're not doing it for any of your guys' wives or spouses. Well, only because the joke is it's you and I. <laughs> it's it's I our know, relationship. I know. Right. is young. One of these episodes will let you produce the whole episode and you can just bring up whatever you want to bring up, okay? I think we need to get a little bit of uh, conversation going, DJ, and get a little bit of dirt on this bad boy. Uh, well, this might come out because we're going to talk about <laughs> yeah. Sydney Royal. So anyway, I'm going to do this. So, so the Elizabeth one, okay? So it's a bit of multiple choice. Who is most likely to miss their flight? You or her or both? Oh, me, 100%. Okay, so you got that. There you go, winner. He's on the first one. Second question, who is most likely to cry in a movie? Oh, Elizabeth. There you go. So it's two oh, from two. You're smashing this. Mind you, we've started on a pretty low bar. Who is most likely to get in a fight? Is that physical or? Well, so how you take it? This is this one's a bit tricky. Is it a fight with one another? Is it just a fight in general? And Elizabeth asked the same thing, but Elizabeth. Oh, three (laughs) from three. She put herself down as well. Who is most likely to forget something? Me. Four from four. See, he's going to do it. This is easy. It's a fun one. I didn't want to get too. By the time you get back there, you'll change a few nappies, and this is on. You're on fire, mate. (laughs) Who is most likely to fall asleep first? Elizabeth. That's five out of five. You are all over it. Who is most likely to be hungry? Elizabeth. Six from six. Who is most likely to say something dumb? Me. Mate, he's not even making this up. You're seven from seven. Who is most likely to be the first one to die in a zombie apocalypse? Elizabeth. Ooh, there's your first one. So the only way he's going to be a clean sweep, I don't think he's going to get a clean sweep with me. So what is it? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven out of eight, Dan. Well done. Elizabeth will be proud of you. Even though she didn't back you, I just want to put that out there. She did not back you, but you did really well. There you go. All right. So this is mine. So I've taken the quiz now. So we're going to go back through them. Who is the most likely to miss a flight, you or I? Me. That's a given. Yeah, yeah, that was an easy one. (laughs) Who is most likely to cry? (laughs) Unless Donald Trump's involved, in which case, Steers, you're likely to miss a flight. (laughs) Yeah, but not due to the fact I wasn't there. That's a a good point. Exactly. For those that are listening, I'm no longer currently available to travel to the United States. I don't want to say anything bad. Needs to be a small issue clarified there with immigration. Uh, USA immigration, but that's yeah. okay. Carry on. Which we love. Thank you don't for protecting the, Don't dig further. Just, for just get on with the, the next question. Okay. Who is more likely to cry in a movie, you or I? Or both? There is both, by the way. I'd say both. Nah, I picked you on there because I just never cry in a movie, so that's sorry. Good. See, 
It's in your interest to make as many mistakes in this no, one as you can. No, come on, I want him. I'm, you want to do it truthfully, I want but to be close at least. When in doubt, make a mistake. The movie one is like, I mean, I don't ever remember at any point in time that either you or I have been watching a movie that either of us have cried. So, you see him sneaking a I hanky, or uh, yeah, that was a dodgy question. A bit of a tough one. Okay, who is most likely to get in a fight? Ah, oh, I'm trying to play all the different scenarios now back to my head. I would say you. Ah, oh, see, I put you. And the reason why, and I said this to Elizabeth, <laughs> this was going to be. So there's an argument over this. Well, I said to Elizabeth, he that might kind go. Of justifies both your answers, really. Because both of him, when we were sort of hanging out, living together, we were both pretty fiery. But I've mellowed out. I have mellowed out. <laughs> like, you can see this beard. I'm in grandpa mode. I've gone past being a dad. Certainly I'm in grandpa great. mode. So I sort of put you on that one. So that's another cross. This is not looking Mate, good for me. Let's just go for a drive. The old in road the Yeah, I haven't written that down in, in the Sydney Royal rap sheet as well. I might have to put that in there as well. Getting testy. Yeah, the road rage comes out. Who's most likely to forget something? Me. That's easy. Who is most likely to fall asleep first? You. Oh, see, I'll put you because when we're having rums, your eyes are just always shutting and we're trying to keep you up. Yeah, I, I would Will agree. you vouch with me on that one? Well, I, I reckon when you're drinking and you're on a session, Steers, you would stay awake. Yes. It's not to say Dan wouldn't on a session, but in general terms, you're a sleepy kind of a fella. That's true. So, so it's a mixed <sighs> signal again. See, he knows you too well. That's the problem. Yeah, these are just not really clear questions for our relationship, Steers, because but there's many a time, like, yes, I would agree 100% with Kim. When you're on a session, you get fired up and get real excited about it. But in general, if it's just a regular night, I'm going to call you every day. Absolutely. No, you're right. That's true, James. So you probably do know me better. It's just that's the issue with it. It's a bit grey. This one will be easy for you. Who is most likely to be hungry? That's a given. No, it's you. Yeah, yeah. Perhaps, absolutely. I knew you were going to get that one. Who is most likely to say something dumb? No, oh, it's me. Oh, good. I'm glad you got that one, pal. And <laughs> who is most likely? <laughs> who is most likely to be the first one to die in a zombie apocalypse? Now, this is interesting. Just say what you feel. Well, it was easy with Elizabeth to say it would be her, but I mean, because you got that one wrong. Yeah, I know, which is shocking. I mean, I'm just going to have to play the card of if we were having to shoot to survive, you've got the one kind of dodgy eye, so I'm going to have to say it to you. Oh, perfect. You got it right, buddy. I'll put you out there. I put me, I should say. You were going to be the one to survive it. I was dying first because you're the fighter. So you got one, two, three, four, five right with me, but obviously seven right with Elizabeth. So it makes Elizabeth the winner, which she'll be pretty happy with. Yeah, exactly. But I did like his responses with my little fun quiz. And Yeah, you're ambiguous to say the least, Yes. Those questions were rubbish. Well, I just got it off oh, no. online, mate. I See, didn't that's want, why. I you should have s- been more personalised. I could have exactly well, stacked the deck. We're about to stack the deck, I think. What do you got? In the rest of the conversation, I'll bet. Yeah, I'll probably have. No, yeah. I've got some stuff here that's <laughs> going to make me not look so good, so don't worry about that. Just to finish the wrap-up, and this is more for myself, you got the racehorse. Last time we were talking, which is a week ago, you had the famous racehorse, the Barrier Rogue. How's that going? <laughs> not good. Oh, sorry for bringing that up. <laughs> yeah, no, they... I'm being told in the background here to be a little quieter on the call by Isabella. I just got shushed. That's fair <laughs> enough, yeah. She's a good observer. When I brought her in here this morning, I said, now, we're going to be on a phone call with Uncle Kim and Uncle Steers this morning, so you're going to have to be quiet if you're going to come in here and play. It's just told you to and be quiet. And now I'm being shushed. 
Yeah. Going back to the racehorse thing, he was a little off in the in the right front. And I had our lane vet come out and say, would you just take a look at this guy before we kind of go any further? And I shot a couple of x-rays and found some stuff that wasn't in any report or apparently anybody knew about this horse, which is kind of shocking. But long story short, they went and kind of dug into it further and they're like, this guy needs to be retired immediately. So... That was it. Well, that's not a training issue. Well, that dodged a bullet, but luckily we also didn't name the horse, so we're clear. Yeah. We haven't mentioned it. We'll just move on. <laughs> so let's get stuck into it. This episode, we're going to be going over 2009, which was the launching pad for Double Down Horsemanship because we move east. We also get our name, Double Down Horsemanship. We're going to cover a fair bit of the 2009 Sydney Royal Easter Show. And for the listeners from overseas, so from everyone in Australia, the Sydney Royal Easter Show needs no introduction. But people say in America, which we're getting a lot of listeners from America, it's one of the biggest, I guess, what do you guys, you call them fairs over there, don't you? State fairs? Yeah, it'd be the equivalent of a state fair for sure. Yeah, but it's also the biggest one in our country. So it would be the biggest state fair in USA. So it's a big show for Dan and I to get invited to. And we finished talking about that on episode two of them inviting us over and giving us a pretty good paycheck to travel. And that's the decision for us to move over. So we're sort of going to cover a fair bit of that Easter show. But before we even get there, which I also think it's quite fitting because we're going to talk about the opening for ALIC, which is the Australian Equine Livestock Events Centre. Thank you, Kim, for bailing me out there, which is based here in Tamworth. Dan James, you did the opening for that. And the reason why I thought that was quite fitting to start with, because a big part of that was the charge of Bathsheba which you performed in and it was before I came over. So I was coming over to do Sydney Royal, but I stayed back in WA and not did that show because I was competing double image and the West Australia state stock horse show. And I was competing for a saddle, which thanks for asking. I did win, which was really cool. Did you win the saddle steers? <laughs> yeah, 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 I did actually. Yeah, oh, it was my first work. saddle. It was my first saddle. It was pretty exciting. That'd be days. Yeah. And the only funny story I have from that, is that that night we're all sleeping in the back of my truck. Who's we're all? This is a little bit okay, of a story. Okay, so no, that... so myself. Oh, yeah. No, no, don't go there. Trust Come on. me. Trust me. You're going to feel embarrassed. It was myself, Pia, and her dad sleeping in swags in the back. We didn't have a trailer, didn't have the gooseneck or anything like that. We're just in a horse truck. I don't know whether that's better or worse. And I could hear my father-in-law snoring. And I thought, oh, this is great. I'm not going to be able to go back to sleep. I woke up. And then this snore went off. You mean he beat you to sleep before you started? No, I actually woke up. So we, I was already <laughs> asleep, but I woke up and then he's snoring. And I couldn't go back to sleep. But then the snoring just got out of time and there was two snores. Uh-oh. It's double image. He's next to the truck. Oh. He's snoring. This is the first one. The only reason I brought this up because it does tie to Sydney Raw. So he's snoring and then the father-in-law... And they were like, sounded identical, but they got out of time with each other. And I'm like, I'm never sleeping now. And then when we went to Sydney Royal, there they've got a lot of people sleeping in these bunks in the stables. And we had a, like a donger, a little house. And we were sleeping in there, so we weren't near the horses. But the people, the competitors that were sleeping in the thing, they could hear double image snoring. And it took them a few days to figure out which horse it was. And he just does it every night. He just goes out cold. And then like on day three or four, they come and like, it's you, your horse is keeping <laughs> us awake. And I was copping it. 
about double image, keeping them as they were sleeping in the lofts of the stables. Another thing you've trained him to do. And I'm like, yeah, he's a vocal horse. So anyway, but anyway, we've got to come back, got to come back to Alec. So Dan, you came over and this was the first show and you worked with Heath Harris and you did, like we said, a charge from Bathsheba. And what I got told, it was a full house, which is I think about 4,000 people in there at Alec and there wasn't a dry eye in the house. How was that show? Yeah, mate, that was a really cool show. I mean, you know what it's like. We've done hundreds of shows all around the country and there's some that just kind of stand out. I mean, the quality of that show and the production that he put together that particular weekend, now I think it was probably one of the best shows that I've ever been a part of, for sure. Like, I think the reenactment of the charge of Bathsheba was, I mean, it could have been its own show. I mean, it was really well done. We had Colin Frills there, the Australian actor, who was doing the voiceover and speaking through it. And the guys there that were representing the light horse, they did a great job. And then, of course, had Amelia in there in one of the closing scenes that talks about when the Australian soldiers were overseas with their horses. And I believe there was 80,000 horses that left Australia to go overseas and there was only one of them that came back. And one of the decisions that the soldiers had to do, the light horsemen had to do before leaving, was they to turn their horse loose in a foreign country where they were for sure to go into slave labour or disease and so forth or to shoot their horse. And it was a really a pretty strong emotional, obviously, decision. And Colin Friels actually, he had met with one of the light horsemen years and years before and, and had written down, quote-unquote, his direct words in that for it. And Colin Friels was sort of reciting it. And he just talked about how he had to make that decision to put his horse down. And that was a scene that I actually acted out with Amelia. So it was kind of house went to black and there was a single gunshot. And, of course, when it lights came back up, Amelia was laying down, pretend dead on the ground. But there certainly wasn't a you know a dry eye in the house. It was a very cool reenactment and obviously excellent part on Heath's side of it of the production and presentation of putting it together. You've dead said nailed that because I was in the audience and you're spot on. It was an extremely emotive, powerful message and really well executed by you guys. Yes, there was two points that I was going to pull out of that and that's because often Dan and I get mistaken for one another and people don't know which one performed where and so people often being here in Tamworth say, oh, I remember seeing that show and think it was me and I said, oh no, that was the other Dan but they go to tell me like these are big growing men aren't afraid to say I wept like a little baby through that scene and so that's not an understatement when we say that people that there was not a dry eye in the house so so that was one part that I wanted to touch on the emotional side like we said and it is Anzac Day which was quite fitting but then the other side of it was obviously you're getting to spend a little bit more time with Heath Harris which is helping you with the liberty but he also really schooled you from what I remembered on being prepared for a big theatrical show. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, like any show that, you know, you know what it's like that you do with Heath. I always remember one of the things that he said and it's always sort of stuck with me. Like if you go to an event and your mic doesn't work in the arena, it's not the tech guy's fault, it's yours because you should have checked it before you went in there. So when it comes to production and things running how they should, I have never been around anybody as far as a producer that was better than Heath in the way that a show to capture that audience should go. And feel of going through that event with him there at Alex Centre was no exception. And I know that, you know, we had to do some schooling on Amelia in particular for that act. And we went out the back and he was very clear. He said, you know, when we say that the horses need to lay down, they need to lay down now, not in five minutes like now. 
So that was, again, one of those moments that was very important about the accuracy of what you and I do, Sis. Yeah, absolutely. And so we then did a show with Heath later that year that we produced all together. And that was when I was asked on the 90 or Nothing podcast whether Dan and I had ever had a fight or if we did, what did we fight about? This was one of the things that I brought up. I said that we had a little bit of a, a disagreement and I don't even know how much of a disagreement it is because I can't remember what we're disagreeing about. And a big part of it was was <laughs> I was tired and I was hangry because Heath had us rehearsing his part of the show, which was a smaller version of the Charge of Bathsheba and a few other things that we had to rehearse and we rehearsed and we rehearsed all night. Then you and I had to rehearse our own stuff that we were doing in the show and when we left Alix, so we'd been in there all night, when we left, the sun was rising. And so <laughs> we'd missed dinner, we'd missed sleep, we'd done it all. And so I remember we had something, a little tiff, but I can't even remember what it was about. And I even said it on the podcast, I can tell you where it was. I could take you back there, but I couldn't actually tell you what it was about. Moving on, I want to get into the Sydney Royal. So it was obviously your fault. No, but moving on. I told you I don't remember what it's about. That's why we're moving on. Brother, I honestly, until you brought it up, I didn't even remember it. Yeah, so it could even be just something in my head. That's how much I can't remember about it, but I still think it was something there. But again, Kim, moving on. The Sydney Royal thing is quite a big deal because we move over and when we move over, we base ourselves at Heath and Chrissy Harris. So we move in with them. So we've got our mentor. We're there and we're preparing for the show and Heath comes up with, this is Dan and Dan launching themselves on the East Coast. And he said to us, we got to come up with a brand. We had no idea that this was something that we should be even thinking about. And it was Heath that brought us together and said, you guys need to come up with a horsemanship company, a name, a website like we had to do this all within like a couple of weeks of performing at Sydney Royal and that's where the name Double Dan Horsemanship came from and you just jump in anytime James when you think that I might miss anything here but I remember Heath said we got a brainstorm and we had me yourself and Pierre there and Heath and Chrissy and we're there having a few drinks and some red wines and we're going through and we're spitballing names and nothing's sticking And then the next day we're out. So we did this all night. Nothing happens. The next day we're out doing our chores in the morning and Heath sees me first and he says to me, he says, Dan, get everybody together. He says, I've got the perfect name. You've got it 100% accurate. I mean, you might have left out that we tried and I think we sacrificed, you know, half a dozen bottles of red wine in trying to come up with it. Other than that, I think you're spot on at this point. Perfect. And we got us together at this little picnic table and he sat us down. It was like he was launching the Apple brand. It was, Should I prep it? <laughs> big drum roll. All right, that's enough of that. If I was good, I would have had the... Yeah, so he comes out and he goes, double Dan horsemanship. It came to me last night. And we were always just like, you know when you've heard a thousand names? It's just like, oh yeah. None of us got excited. And we're always just like... Well, it's the best we got, I guess. We'll just go with that. And I feel so <laughs> bad now because we just, it's the best name. We love it. It's simple. It's perfect. The logo's cool. Everything about it. And, and Heath, I think we killed, or we certainly aged Heath a little bit that day. A little bit of Keith died inside, the lack of enthusiasm. And if there's one regret, if you can ever have a regret, that would be my biggest regret is that. We didn't celebrate that moment enough. Is that right? Oh, I think that is highly accurate. I think we should have 
busted out some champagne for that day and uh, just sit there and treasure the moment. Well, that's what Heath was feeling like. And then all of a sudden we just went back to our jobs and it was just like nothing <laughs> happened. We launched a website. Yeah, good, Heath. I've just got to shovel some shit here for a second. Just uh, be with you in a minute. And we, yep, we just went and did our business and then he organized everything. He got us a website builder. He got us media. He did a lot. So I just want to give him a little shout out, him and Chrissy for certainly looking after us over that period as well as really launching Double Dan Horsemanship, which we then went to Sydney Royal. And this wasn't a story that I had. Hold on one step before the other person probably shout out and that is Susie Jarrett. Because yes. Susie Jarrett did a lot for us in terms of publicity and writing and that for us. And I know Susie's always been a great friend and supporter of both of us in that over the years. Good call. Absolutely. So from there, and this is something I didn't put on the run sheet or the timeline, but Dan talked about a bit of road rage. So I'm going to tell you a little story about Dan and I getting ready. We had to go to Sydney Royal, but it wasn't actually for the show. It was for a media launch. And I had a bigger horse truck, no pun intended. So we put all the horses in my truck. And so we've got Dan and I in the front of the truck and we're driving it in Sydney. And Sydney, for people that don't live in Australia, like Sydney is the worst place in the world to drive. Traffic is nasty. I don't know. Melbourne oh. is up there. Up way before Melbourne because of the, the ring road. It's, it's and, more structured. Yeah. So Sydney is just a rat race. So we're driving in there, but it's Sunday. It was pretty quiet, right? So we're driving in there and... We're pulling up to this set of traffic lights and there's nobody in front of the horse truck. And I'm just pulling in slowly to not lock up the brakes and have the horses, you know, move around for all you guys out there listening. You know what it's like traveling with horses. There's a car in the lane next to me and there's nobody in front of him. He decides at the last second that he's going to cut across the lane and cut in front of me for I no can reason. see your blood pressure rising <laughs> as you're reciting the story. Well, don't worry, Dan. James has <laughs> rose a fair bit too. And we're like, have a look at this a-hole that's just done this, right? So we're flipping mad. But you've got a horse truck. What are you going to do? You can't keep up with him and tailgate him or do anything like that. (laughs) So we all take off and he goes and he stays in that lane, that left lane. So we come up to the next set of traffic lights. Again, no one's in front of either of us and I pull into the right lane. And Dan's at the window just giving it to old mate, but old mate's just stay, pretending we're not even there. We don't even exist. He's just- Standard city driver. Just, yep, he's just looking you at don't the lights. Engage, I'm just you like, get stabbed. I'm just revving the guts out of him and go, as soon as this thing goes green, I'm going to merge left <laughs> and I'm going to take him out. I'm in a horse truck. <laughs> and so across the intersection, there I am <laughs> going sideways through the lane and Dan's out the window flipping him the bird, telling him where he can get off. <laughs> and Pierre's in the back just like shaking head, just going, this is it. Pierre and Kristen right? The two girls in the back and then you and I were out the front and I think they were so proud of us. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly what I was thinking. I'm like, proud of us? Yeah, they were mortified, but there's a little bit of an insight into a little bit of road rage. How we've matured. How we've matured. Well, but it's what our lady partners don't understand is that every now and again in Sydney driving, this kind of activity needs to happen just to keep people on the straight and narrow because, quite frankly... I don't know if we taught him a lesson or not. Yeah, but just while we're still on the subject of that and in such close proximity, but the person that also makes me always laugh about this is Chrissy Harris, Heath's wife. And Chrissy's, what, what would you say? You see Chrissy five, five two, five four. She's little, yep. And she would drive that huge truck and trailer of theirs, and the same thing happened to hers. But she was way tougher than us. She pulled the truck up 
at the intersection and got out and went and banged on their window. (laughs) 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 You and I never even left the truck. (laughs) Yeah, we didn't get into any knife fights. But anyway, rolling on. So that wasn't like I said at all in the run sheet. The Sydney Royal is going to take up most of the podcast because there was so many stories within the Sydney Royal. One of the ones that I wanted to touch on was the OH&S show. So we called ourselves the Dan and Dan show. I don't think this did anything for your recall to the Sydney Royal. Yeah, which I'm going to talk about at the end here. So did you go to the Sydney Royal? Did you see us there? Yeah, I'd be there every year. Oh, so you're sneaking by. See, we didn't know Kim, for your listeners out there, we didn't know Kim was there. But for anyway, for out there to explain it, Sydney Royal was all of a sudden really strict on so H&S stuff, occupational health and safety. And they told us that we had to wear helmets in our shows. And we're like, well, we're a horsemanship show that we wear cowboy hats. And we're cowboys. You can get stuffed. We tried that. Effectively. We had our own insurance and our insurance didn't have to state that we had to wear helmets. And we tried to fight it from every which angle. Like the cutting, they were telling the cutters that they had to wear helmets and they just boycotted the show. But of course, we weren't going to boycott the show. We wanted the money. So we thought, what's the best way to combat this <laughs> was pull the absolute piss out of it. And we did this whole show. So it's very mature. Very mature. It's so a for, lucky road rage. For example, for your listeners out there, we firstly, we wore orange fluorescent vests. Safety vests. Safety vests. And we had D1 and D2 on there. But didn't you ask them, is there anything else we need to do? Did we ask them? I don't think so. I thought part of the thing was, okay, so we're going to wear helmets. Oh, no, I made all that up. Sorry for bursting your bubble. What I did is I had this big makeshift pretend OH&S handbook, which was a huge, big cardboard thing that we created and we'd written on there with black text, the OH&S handbook. And on there was like, Dan James wants to ride bareback and bridleless backwards. But before he does that, oh no, sorry, section 7BA says that you need to wear a seatbelt. So I had this seatbelt that I'd click on him and it just was like <laughs> little gags like that the whole way through it and the helmet and everything else. Oh no, you need this. And the reason we had the vests on was so the horses could see us and we absolutely absolutely pulled the pee out of the whole thing to try to make it work for us. The reason why these couple of cowboys are wearing helmets, and obviously you remember it, Kim, you're watching it. Did you think it was entertaining? Oh, absolutely. It was gold. Quite frankly, I don't see how you weren't invited back next year. Well, there's going to be a few other stories. (laughs) You mean back next year? We haven't been invited back since at all. Yeah, ever. That's yeah. Pretty much the only show that I think of that I know they that couldn't we, find a big black text big enough to put through your names. Yeah, but there's a couple other stories that are going to come out of it. So that was one of the main things that was our own show. But separate from our own show, we're part of their- No sense of humour. No, they didn't. I, I'm disappointed. I can't believe it. They should have been giggling away and oh, chortling in the crowd, but disappointed. Everyone else was. Exactly. Everyone else was laughing. They're, they're only human. Mm-hmm. So then the other part we were part of was their night show called Bluey. And they'd done a couple of other big night shows, which was a man from Snow River, which Heath had been a part of. And there's a few others. And this Bluey thing was a bit of a flop. And we had to do some... <laughs> bit. Yeah. I was being polite and not saying anything, but anyway, yeah. Yeah. But, but we were a part of it nonetheless. And we had to do Roman writing in this show. It's going to be a bit more incriminating to Mr. Dan Steers. So we're waiting around for this rehearsal all day and we'd been told it was earlier in the day and they were just having so many things go wrong that it got later and later and later and later and I was certainly hangry and tired and (laughs) yeah 
and I were doing the first part of the rehearsal and we're practicing because we were part of this show that had heaps of other stuff. There was harness horses, there was dance performers, there was heaps of different things. And they're working out the structure of how we enter and how we leave. You know, we're all going to do our bits when we get out there, but we have to look organized coming in and coming out. So when we're going out, we're going to form a line and blah, blah, blah. And the Roman riding horses were going to be last. Dan James was in front of me and I was the last set of horses. And in this rehearsal, Dan turns around backwards and is like waving to a pretend crowd. This is how I remember it, which is essentially me. He's looking at me in the eyes and he's waving and he's dancing around like he's in the show and I'm just like grumpy, you know, just roaming, riding, blah, blah, blah. And when he turns around and faces forwards, his horses are headed straight for this fake rock, this prop. He or his horses quickly veer around the rock. My horses are so close to his horses that when they veer, they just see the rock and stop. And I go straight past the <laughs> Two sets of ears, four ears. I go clean over the top. There's a Flintstones moment here. Straight into the rock. <laughs> and I hit the deck and I get up and I just give Dan James a mouthful in front of everybody. Is that right, James? <laughs> Mate, it's very accurate. I couldn't probably put it better myself. I mean, I missed the part, unfortunately, where you go over the ears. I just, the first thing I hear is you saying some very, life-giving words to me. <laughs> and But the part that stands out in my mind is the guys that drove the stunt cars were sitting like on the sideline waiting their turn. And I remember one of them literally falling off the rail in laughter. <laughs> I don't remember because those guys were the Toyota guys. They keep getting rebranded. They're now like the Isuzu team, but they've been through a few different names. They were the Holden team. But they were the what you're talking about, their high performance vehicle. The Hyundai's. Were they at even the time, Hyundai's? I think. Yeah, they were Santa no, Fe's. No, no, not then. No, no, they were Toyota when we were there because I've got a cap that's got their signatures. Yeah, yeah they had the Utes and they were the Hilux team then. Before that, they were the Storm. They were the Holden Storm Utes. And then after it, now they that were was the when it was good with the V8s. Yes. And yeah. they got the ping ping Hyundai's. Like, seriously. Hey, so after the Toyota Hilux. Like, are you kidding me? Get the old V8 Holdens. They were, yeah, they were gold. That was it. But anyways, that was the first thing with the Sydney Royal. This is rehearsal. So we haven't even started the show and we're off to a flying start. Once we start the show, where it gets even more interesting, we do the first night of the show. And like we said, it was a pretty underwhelming show. And when we've come back and we're doing the debrief after the show with the producer, with everybody, he mentions that, yeah, look, I really like the Roman writing, but you guys get a little lost out there. It's a big arena. There's like 30,000 people watching. It's a huge arena and we don't really see you. Is there a way that we can- you need to up the ante a little. Yeah. Is there a way that we can make you stand out like putting fireworks on you? And I'm like, no. Excellent but idea. Dan James is like, yeah, yeah, we could try that. We could give that a try. Well, so- well mate, the part here that I've got to just, clarify a little clearer that was actually the second time that the question was asked because if I'm just being honest while we're here I'd actually already agreed to it that day because Narelle came and asked and she's like look this is what we want to do are you guys up for it I'm like oh yeah look we've got it we're good to go so count us in so I had if we're just laying it out on the table already pre-agreed to the idea (laughs) so I'm like no and he's like yeah yeah he's selling it to me now because obviously he's committed to it and then he's selling it to me and he said, Dan, he's just like, don't worry about it. He's like, if you just get those horses going as 
maximum speed as possible before you detonate the fireworks. Perfectly good suggestion. Yeah, he said before you do that, he said that the horses can't run any faster. They're already going as fast as they can, so they're just going to cop it. But the funny thing is, is I never went maximum speed. Even at the best of scenarios, <laughs> I was never going maximum speed and I never had any intention of going maximum speed. So for me, I'm just like, I'm out. And his horses were a bit more broken than mine. He had Apollo at that point in the team and he had borrowed one of Heath's horses, an older horse in the team. And he's, Dan's talked me into it to fast track this story that we are going to give it a go. So just give it a go. If it doesn't work, you don't have to do it. And you've got to be, to explain it to the listeners, it's like you're wearing a suicide bomber vest. It was this motocross vest that had this safety switch that you had to lift the plastic cover off, flick the switch before you press the button to detonate a 15-second gerb that's basically like a giant sparkler that was placed on your back. So you're getting around and you got your horses cantering briskly. I mean, they weren't going full throttle, but you're brisk. You hit the switch, they might speed up just a tiny bit and they and they go around and they look great. I've got my vest on and you're like, all right, Steers, do it. And I'm like, no. And you're like, no, no, do it. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm just shaking my head. No. And so it takes a bit of time and you eventually, and I'm only trotting, by the way. I'm not cantering. I'm trotting. I'm bum-putting trotting. And I lift this plastic thing. I say a little prayer inside my head. I press the button. These horses go to take off. <laughs> and I drop between the two of them. And it's a bit less similar to the first story that we talked about, Roman riding horses in episode two of being connected. My horses were connected not by the girth, but they were connected at the chest. And I fell in between them at the girth point. And I've got 15 seconds of fireworks going off. That's like an eternity <laughs> while I'm stuck between them and I'm pulling well, the, the reins. The problem that happened is that as they're taken off and as you've dropped between them, they've been at such speed that you couldn't get your feet underneath you. So your feet are dragging behind you and there's just never a way for you to catch those feet up to even stand. So you're hanging on with your forearms and your hands the reins are gone loose. The sparkler is in. But I think the sparkler gives a real pussy kind of you standpoint of this. I mean, it's a firework. Yeah, it's fine. And the yeah. firework is going off. Like, it, to kind of give this real value series for the situation that you're in, you literally had a huge firework strapped to you going off while two horses are galloping. As they stopped going from the little bum trot speed to they were galloping and your feet are now behind you and you're stuck in the middle and there's nothing that we can do, but I can hear you already cussing me out while this is going on. <laughs> I, was, I was yelling whoa a lot is what I remember. No, no, I'm pretty sure it wasn't whoa. I've never heard your horses stop off the other language, but I have heard it used at me a couple of times. Where's the effect of I'm very unimpressed with you, Daniel? No, that came afterwards. <laughs> I was too frightened. <laughs> I was too frightened at the time. I was too frightened of the time. But once they stopped, I certainly gave it to him. So I was out. I was absolutely out. I'm like, this isn't happening for me. And so I got a new job. I ended up riding double image. I took the fire whips out. I did lights. I did something else. But Dan did the Roman riding with the fireworks. After the first night of the show where he had the fireworks, we're doing the debrief again. And the old producer says to everybody when he's going through, you know, yep, you did good. This could be better or whatever. He gets to us and he's like, oh, perfect. I love the firework. But he said, you want to stop dragging between those horses? <laughs> no, no. You I'm look good. like a ridiculous doll. Yeah, like I said, I'm out. 
But he says to James, he's like, it didn't last long enough because it's a big arena. Sydney's a huge arena. He's like, 15 seconds. You hardly get out there in 15 seconds. So he turns and he looks at the pyro guy and he says to him, he says, can we get a 30-second gerb on him? And the pyro guy goes, if that detonates, it will kill him. And this is the first time I go, if it misfires. Yes, it will kill (laughs) him. And I just like, my thing goes, well, what does 15 seconds do then? If if 30 (laughs) seconds kills him, what does 15 seconds do? And they're like, oh, well, he'll get badly burnt and he'll go to hospital, but he won't die. (laughs) Unless you get dragged around whilst you're on fire, I suppose. And I'm like, that was never mentioned. That was never mentioned. Yeah, that definitely wasn't. It wasn't until the Cairo guy was there and brought that light to it that it does give me some appreciation for you, Sid, that you probably would have asked that question before agreeing to it. Yeah, which you obviously didn't. No, I did not. That's priceless that the safety briefing came after the third attempt. Oh, no, yeah, yeah well, thanks very much, champion. Yes. Yeah, so anyway, so what they end up doing with Dan James is they put two 15-second gerbs on him. So he had to do the whole detonation thing twice in a way to get around it. So we still did it. But again, we've got to keep pressing. So with this being at Sydney Royal, we also meet like some phenomenal people. There was probably like, I'm trying to get that back to the timeline. And for us in 2009 was the launching point of Double Dan. We end up meeting like so many friends, like that's where we met the Rollins there. And we met like Warwick Lawrence there, the Biffins, Troy Palmer and his crew. And like, I mean, the list is really, I don't want to mention them all because I know that we'll forget something. But to be a part of that show was so cool in the fact that not only did we get in front of so many people, but we got to meet so many big or top equestrian names in our first actual real Double Dan performance. That's what it was. It was the first Double Dan performance. It was the first time we were branded as Double Dan. It was the first time the East Coast had seen the two of us together. And in hindsight, I look at that and think that was a pivotal show that really launched us. And for me, I probably didn't really appreciate it at the time. What about you, James? Mate, I think it's like many, like El Cabello, Sydney Royal, and probably so many other shows that in the moment, you're going through the process and the motion of it. And it wasn't until later on that you sit back and look at it as to, like you said, a, a pinnacle point in launching, establishing yourselves on the East Coast and getting started that you have that appreciation for it. Absolutely. I know that when we were there, we did, and there's going to be another story that follows this about us partying, but a part of meeting these people is we would stay up and we even got told when we first got there or even before signing the contract, Linnell said, look, you're not allowed to drink. They've had some misbehavior in the past from equine performers and there's a part of your contract is you're going to basically sign away that you're not going to drink while you're there. But she said, I know that you're going to, everyone's going to, you just got to be subtle about it and blah, blah, blah. So that's all cool. So we're getting around with all these other performers, like Dan mentioned before, like the Biffins and the Rollins and the Lawrences and the Palmers and everyone else. And of course, there's plenty of drink going about. So we were out every night and Dan mentions his girlfriend before Kristen and then Pia. And we're all there. We're sleeping in this tiny little donger together. And we had spent a fair few nights socializing. And it was like, enough's enough. Because it's like a 20-odd day show. Enough's enough. And we're having a quiet one. And we were also getting about with this Toyota Hilux. No, no, I said Toyota Hilux. Yeah, it was Toyota Hilux team. The Precision Driving Team. So we're getting about with them as well. So we spend this night, an early night with the girls, and we're going to bed. 
Well, the rest of the crew didn't think it was all that good of an idea that we would go to bed <laughs> early. So they bust on in to our little donger, which we've got the aircon running, sleeping in our jocks, sleeping in this little stretch of beds, you know, with our You're partners. kidding me. The, the Biffins. I know, it's hard to believe. Have crashed you trying to sleep others. and made you drink. So they pulled us out by our stretcher bed. They put Dan James in a wheelie bin in his jocks. <laughs> they dragged me out by the bed. And they brought us to the party. So when they pulled the wheelie bin in, they tipped the wheelie bin out, Dan falls out, they drag the bin in there, and then she's on again. And this is one of the stories I remember because some horses came out. I remember getting on Casey Bareback and Bridalist, and Big Biffin is swinging off the tail of my mare while I'm cantering her through the alleyways and the corridors of the stables, Bareback and Bridalist. He's swinging off a tail on what were those boards things, you know, those single wheeled, it's like a skateboard, but instead of having four wheels, it only had two. Oh, what are they called? Yeah, 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 I know. Yeah. Anyway, a ripstick. Rip, yeah, ripstick. That's it. Ripstick. He's swinging off a tail. He's swinging off a tail and I'm lapping it. And anyway, they're having like a barn party. And so they're. So Heath Biffin was on a ripstick. Not Heath. No, 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 Grant. Grant, sorry, Grant was on it. So Grant was swinging off the tail of my bear, <laughs> which I'm looking at her now going, no way would I be standing behind her for a length of period I don't of think time. I'd bother Grantly. And I'm cantering her flat and I'm in me jocks, right? Bareback and bridalist, the pair of us. They like the pun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we come around and we go straight through the party and we break them up. Next minute, Dan James is in the back of one of those Hilux in his jocks. The Hilux <laughs> stunt team have decided to start up their youth and they bring around with the lights on and the things flashing. And so they're in the main arena by this time? No, no, we're still in the, Just st- out the stables back. in the back and he pulls in down the laneway. <laughs> With those, and we're like, we're back in, boys. We're back in. We're back to town. So we're just absolutely having the time of our life. I cannot understand how you were invited back. Like, <laughs> what's going wrong here? Well, I know James is going to get to this point, so it's I may been as well a misinterpretation somewhere. Then there was another night <laughs> that we decided night four that we decided to go. There's one club. I don't know what is it, the Cattlemen's or something. There's a yeah, club, Cattlemen's Bar. The Cattlemen's Bar that. That's the only place that's open. And I'm going to lead into this conversation in a little defense on your behalf, Sears, because, so, like, let's paint the picture. Sears, you guys, you put it out there. You're not meant to be drinking in the stable barns. It's irresponsible, keeping people up at late. Remember the lady that was kept up late at night and came down with no bra on? She had a top on, but no bra. Do you remember that, Sears? I don't remember, but I'm sure. It sounds like it was more frightening than impressive. It was. It was definitely a scarring point. But so thinking about trying to follow rules, I believe that the girls probably pushed on us to let's be a little bit more professional and let's go out to a designated drinking area. And mind you, for all those that are listening, none of us had to drive. This is all on the one complex, so it's all within walking distance. So we go out to be a bit more responsible in going to the bar that was provided. And... Mate, it was a mess. There was like the security were terrible. They had problems with everybody just arriving. They didn't want to be there. So they thought that was a bad idea with us just turning up. And the lineups, not only to get in, once you got in, the lineups to the bar, like they had like, it felt like two people for 6,000 people there to serve them. So we waited and waited and waited. And I would say it's probably... I don't know, 40 minutes or more, and Sears is like, that's it, I've had enough. I'm like, what do you mean you've had enough? 
he's like, I'll help. And all of the three of us, the two girls, when we looked at you, like, what do you mean you'll help? So <laughs> I'll never forget this. Just goes and walks behind the bar and proceeds to start serving. Well, the so other two servers are so busy at this point that nobody else had come. No, so not only does he serve us, he serves three or four other people. And, of course, he wasn't worried about the tips or the exchange of money for it. He thought that it was worthwhile <laughs> our time in waiting. So we must have got two or three drinks into us before somebody on the staff there realises that Dan is not meant to be serving, that he was a, a patron of it and not a server before he, they come across to remove him. Am I Pretty accurate so far? Yes, that's 100% accurate. Then all of a sudden, not only does the staff turn up, but security turn up with the staff. <sighs> and they, so there's no yeah. warning. <laughs> they grab me. They take me outside, which is you got to go downstairs, and they take me outside. They're asking me my name. What's your name? They want to give me some details. And I'm like, I've been in a little bit of trouble before. And I'm like, you don't give a name if you don't have to give a name. <laughs> so I'm like, like, plead the fifth. Yeah. I'm like, I don't have a name. I don't have a name. And, but this is where my story falls down is because I had my lanyard on, but it was tucked in my shirt, but they could see your credentials was around my neck. And so the security guard goes down my shirt and grabs it and pulls it out and sees my name and says, oh, you're such and such. And then they let me go. But of course, I'm not allowed to go back into the bar. So then Dan and the girls had to come back out and we go back. And this might add to the story of us not being invited back, do you think, to Sydney (laughs) Royal. (laughs) They didn't kick us out there and then, but it was pretty bad and unprofessional at the time. And On their behalf. (laughs) <laughs> they should have served us. <laughs> They've tried to set us up is how I feel. They've like said, you can't do this here in the stables. You need to be responsible and go other places. We've got to be responsible and look what happens. Oh, you sobered right up. It was ridiculous. But with that, it wasn't probably the greatest look. And then I think back and think that in the first couple of podcasts, we kept saying, only in America. But only in America, that wouldn't have happened. And because of tipping. Yeah. We would have been served. Exactly. They would have been more than happy. They'd 40 see- minutes for a drink. Oh, it was ridiculous. No, I mean, we were hollering out to them. We are calling out. Like, it was getting ridiculous in the fact that to drive me to that point must have meant this is my defence anyway to the court. I'm with you. That's outrageous. Yeah, I'll rest my case, Your Honour. So that sort of pushes us through, you know, our Sydney Royal time. And like I said, we didn't get invited back. And <laughs> Lanelle, if you're Still out there confused. listening, if you're out there listening, we would love a shot to come back. And we've matured now. We're both fathers and got kids <laughs> and we're married and life's different. We're going to behave ourselves this time and we're going to put on the best possible horse show that you've ever seen. It's going to be phenomenal. So just get like Dan at doubledan.com.au. Linnell, just get in touch. We're here. We're waiting. We're ready to go. We'll even discount those drinks that we took. We'll take that straight <laughs> off. <laughs> we'll take that yeah, straight off. It was probably, what, three drinks. And given that it was uh, about 15 or $20 a drink, I mean, that's going to heat in quite a bit of the budget. Yes. And there's other people that I gave those drinks to as well. I'm sure we're going to have to pay them back for those. But anyway, we'll see what happens. We'll see if Linnell gets in touch with us. We'll give her a shout out if she does. But anyway, from there, I'm going to just push past Sydney Royal. And there was three shows before we moved over. 
I remember this clearly. There was three shows booked in that we had, which was Sydney Royal, then the NCHA, which is the National Cutting Horse Associational Futurity in Tamworth. And then there was a little show just outside the Gold Coast. They were the only three shows we were trying to get, if you remember, Dan, we're trying to get Beef Week, but we missed out. So there was only those three shows. So when Pierre and I jumped in the truck- Lucky because he's a vegan now. Yeah, so I should have asked him about that, but anyway, <laughs> we'll go back to that at the end if we get time. We come across an alibi, and so for Pierre and I, we think we're not going to get any more shows than those three shows because Dan's an optimist and we're pessimistic at best. So we come across and we're like, we've got those ones booked in, and then when the money runs out, we'll, we'll just go back to Western Australia. We go up to the NCHA cutting deal, and I wanted to mention them because for us, that was an opportunity in getting in front of like so many of our idols, like some of these cutting guys and horsemen that are up there. It was a super big deal, not only to perform in front of them, and I was probably more nervous to perform in front of them than I was in front of 30,000 people at Sydney Royal because I was like, these guys are the real deal. If we mess up, they're going to know. But I was so shocked. This was the first time that I realised that those types of people actually thought what we were doing were cool. Like a lot of times I thought, are they going to think that this is lame and we're gimmicky? I don't know what they're going to think, to be honest, but I didn't think that they would appreciate it. But that opened the door like to so many great horsemen. And one of them I want to highlight is Mark Buttsworth because from there, Mark's been a huge mentor of mine and he ended up then taking double image on and taking him to Cloncurry. And I don't want to get into all that because the podcast will go forever. But is that something that resonates with you as well, Dan, that like going into those shows where you actually, it's not so much the crowd size, like, you know, the cutting maturity had a few thousand people, but not 30,000. And so whether you're going to get nervous or not, but performing in front of say your peers or people that you looked up to, is that something that you thought of as well that makes you nervous? Well, mate, you're 100% right. I mean, you know, the calibre of horsemen and horsewomen and that there and both current and present and past champions of those disciplines and that, for them to all kind of come in together there in the one place. I mean, I definitely remember that being way more nerve-wracking in general than any other show that we've been to, just like you described. The crowd's one thing, but the people that you look up to and respect and that you certainly want to try to not only do a good job, but to try to earn their respect. And that was very... I guess, flattering to some of the people that came would come back and say to us, hey, boys, man, that was great. Really enjoyed it. Awesome, awesome job. I mean, that was mind-blowing. But is that the same? Like, it was the first time for me that I received that, I guess, attention from those guys. But for even for you now, continually, being in the States, and I know that you've got way into your reigning and your freestyle reigning, does that something that still surprises you even now, that the guys that are competing, you know, in that top level in competition that actually take the time to come up to you and appreciate what you do, does that still shock you? Oh, absolutely. And I've got to say, I've been fortunate enough on several occasions over here to be invited by some of those guys to come and do things at either their events or their own home show. And that, and that's always just a real honour to firstly just get thought of and then invited to come along and to do things. So I think it's opened up so many great friendships and relationships with other people in both different disciplines and at a high level. And that's the thing I think that always has stood out to you and I. I feel like there's not a discipline that we probably don't know somebody well enough that we could jump on the phone, call them up and say, hey, what's your thoughts on this? And talking from national, state, international, Olympic gold medalists, I mean, it's amazing the those relationships that have been formed with that calibre of horsemen and horsewomen over the years. Absolutely. That still shocks me now that we've got access to them and that they actually pay respect to what we do. 
but I'll give you guys a wrap as well. I reckon what you guys brought to the entertainment and to the horsemanship industry was a freshness, was an appeal through the relationship that you guys had and the comedy that came with it, that just to knock about blokes that had a high level of horsemanship that also just prepared to just laugh at each other and have fun. And that was the appeal for me and I think for a lot of people at a lot of your shows was just riding the wave and just enjoying it. But I guess we took it for granted because we knew no different. Like we talked about the previous episode about El Cabello and and that just was organic, the sort of bouncing off each other. Like we didn't rehearse any of it. We still don't rehearse. Like, you know, Kim, you perform with both of us and you've done a lot with myself and we have an outline of what we're trying to achieve out there. Which we rigorously go through at least half an hour before the show. <laughs> that at best. <laughs> can be at best, exactly. Maximum of half an hour because we would forget. But we walk out there and just be spontaneous. And, and that part we probably didn't quite get that anybody was probably paying attention to, but that's just how we sort of roll, unfortunately. You can probably tell from this episode three that we're all not, Sharp, that, professional. We? We're not that professional <laughs> about how we conduct ourselves. Please. But it's got us this far and so we're not going to sort of, I guess, change that sort of stuff too much more. But I did want to just sort of touch while we're going through the timeline that I think for myself personally, the NCHA was the first time that I felt that we had the support of our peers, but it just kept building from then on. And even Dan and I still talk now when we get to meet somebody that is professional in whatever question discipline that they're involved in and they've got some positive feedback about what we do and they share it with us that we can't wait to get on the phone with one another. And that's what I wanted to share in our podcast, that we look up to these guys as much as other people may look up to Dan and I. And to get that feedback means a lot. And to think that those guys respect what we do and they also ask us questions about what we're doing really amazed me. I just didn't think they'd have the time for us. And I know it amazes Dan because we act just as shocked as one another when those conversations happen. And a lot of times we can be together or we can be on other opposite sides of the world, but we're still impressed by it. Absolutely. So then from there, we're a fair way into the episode now, but we sort of went off and we did, this is 2009 and this was the launching point. We go off and do a bunch of other little lag shows, but we then get to do Adelaide and Melbourne as well. And with that Adelaide and Melbourne Royal show, so they're the next biggest shows, I guess, on their major city ag shows, but for the listeners in America, they're the state fairs of their representative states. It was quite a big deal. And there's only a couple of stories that I want to touch on. I don't want to get too involved, but Adelaide was the first time that Dan, not the first time that he did it, but the first time it became a big part of the Double Dan Act where he was Roman riding. So standing on the back of two horses, jumping them into a moving gooseneck while then jumping onto the roof. And that was, he was doing a deal with Karakara Floats, which is still a sponsor of ours here in Australia. He became the sponsored rider by them and he got a rig organized and it was the last minute that they got that thing made in time. Like he got that rig. I actually didn't have it for Adelaide. They were supposed to have it for Adelaide and it wasn't ready in time. And here's a shout out to friends of ours as well, Clover Ash, who then Dan was on the phone to every float builder in South Australia and he got on to... Yeah, because once again, we had sold an idea that we actually didn't have. We didn't have 100% at the time. Dan said that to Adelaide Royal, yeah, yeah, we're going to jump two horses into a back of a moving gooseneck and jump onto the roof. And then the gooseneck wasn't ready. And so then he starts ringing like last minute. So you obviously need a reinforced roof. 
You need a reinforced and a no roof. No tailgate on no it ta- and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, you're clever. This is why I said you're one of the cleverest people I know. I don't debate that, but nonetheless, I'm thinking. I'm, yes. I'm working that's on That's what it. we have. Yeah. So you just yeah. can't do it with Tail an ordinary buddy. one. Right. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, he starts ringing around. He's not getting much. He ends up dialing up and it's pretty early in the morning. And I end up finding out because we've become pretty good friends with Ollie and Penny Watson from Clover Ash Horse Floats there in South Australia. A little shout out. And anyway, those guys sort of say they had a huge party the night before. He rings them in the morning on like Sunday morning and we're sort of supposed to be sort of probably leaving Monday, I'm presuming, to get down there and ask them about this deal. And they just go, yeah, we can make that work. No idea what they're going to do. They don't build floats. They service and sell floats, but they can make them. So they get like a float, a stallion horse float, and they reinforce the roof and they take the tailgate and they make it all safe and they deliver it to us at Adelaide. And this is it. So we're at the show and Dan's going to roam and ride two horses into the back of this moving vehicle that he's not practiced until he gets to the event and get on the roof. And so we get it there and he does that and he does it successfully. And anyway, it's one of those times that he's roam and riding, goes past the crowd and somebody yells out, do a backflip. You know, it's like he comes out of the show and he's like, you wouldn't believe it. Somebody's husband <laughs> yells out. Not only is he jumping these horses into the back of a float, but they want him to do a backflip at the same time just to follow on from episode two. So that's one of the big deals of Adelaide. But then also to keep on to the shenanigan side of things, I thought the other funny story was is we started to do a few of these ag shows and noticed that the show riders would lunge their horses excessively at night time in order to have them obedient during the daytime time. Yeah, nice. So Dan James has gone out that night. So Dan comes home from the bars. This lady is lunging her horse (laughs) in preparation to ride it the next day. And Dan goes out there a little intoxicated and gets into the middle of the lunging circle with her and proceeds to talk to her about why she maybe shouldn't be doing it. And she could do other horsemanship things. I don't remember this at all, mate. No, I don't think you do. He was being quite funny about it from what I... I wasn't there either, but I got told about it the next day. And this person, incidentally, knew somebody who knew Dan and I quite well. So anyway, she's laughing it off. Very cryptic. Yeah, she's laughing it off. But the next day, she rings the person that we know, and then that person rings us and says, hey, what did I hear about Dan James coming home a little bit drunk last night? And I'm not going to say too much, but, you know, being, I guess... DJ, I find this very difficult to believe. Being constructive, constructive, I'm going to use a word. Yeah, I can understand that. Constructive horsemanship to these show riders. So he's doing that and I'm fast asleep somewhere and I should have thought about that when I was doing the quiz. Yeah, hell of a wingman. Yeah. Well, I was, I was, I was in bed. <laughs> we need to describe where we said, like we kind of set the stage that we're doing some of the biggest shows in Australia and we get there and remember the setup in Adelaide, like where we slept? It was like we're sleeping in a garden shed on concrete. <laughs> That was worse than probably what the prison cell. Yeah, it wasn't even enclosed. Well, it was sort of enclosed. You had a door, but then you could climb over the door. It was just these concrete floors. It wasn't big enough to run around in. It was just big enough to lay down in. And so before this, when we we're doing our deal, we said plus accommodation, but you assume we we're going to get a hotel yeah. room. <laughs> They're like, yeah, you just roll your swags out in there and you just lock the door when you go in there. And if people want to climb over the top, well, you just accept it, I guess. I don't know. But yeah, so it wasn't like we were sleeping in a locker. It was worse than prison cells. Like it wasn't that nice and glamorous. So there was a, probably an incentive for Dan to be staying out all night. 
But moving on, we went on. This is going to go to Melbourne. So we leave this show and we've got a week between Adelaide and Melbourne. In that time, Dan James's gooseneck's ready. So he drives away from Adelaide, goes to like Coffs Harbour, up that direction to pick up this gooseneck from Karakar. To give our US listeners a bit of context. It's like a two-day drive. Yeah, that would be about an 18-hour drive. Yeah, it was two days. So he drives up there, then two days back to Melbourne. So there's his week gone. So he's going to do Melbourne show in his gooseneck, the new one. And I go directly from Adelaide across to Melbourne. But we get across to Melbourne Royals. So this is the second biggest show in Australia. So Sydney's number one, Melbourne's number two. So we're doing Melbourne show. And there's a couple of stories here. And I know Dan's going to like one of these stories. One of the stories that I wanted to bring up was we're doing our performance and we're still calling it, even though we're double dance, this is the Dan and Dan show. And so one of these gags would be that Dan would ride in on Ari, his stallion, bareback and bridless, cracking a stock whip. And then I would just walk into the arena just subtly. And Dan would turn and look at me and sort of say, oh, Steers, where's your horse? You're supposed to start the show. Where's your horse? Oh, he's running late. You know, he's going to be here. And then I'd whistle him in and he would come galloping in and he would come and sit on a beanbag. It was comical. Like he's supposed to come to me, but he'd run past me and go to the beanbag. And anyway, he would get quite exuberant about it. And this is where we started getting sponsorship by Equisage, but I'll talk about them in a different episode. And Equisage has started giving him massages and stuff. He starts feeling pretty fresh. Piers letting him go. And this arena isn't completely enclosed. It's outdoor and it is massive and it's three sides crowd, but the back of house, there's two different areas these horses could just leave the arena. Double image comes in 9-0 and I stand by the beanbag just in case he's not going to sit on the beanbag. I'm standing by to be in a position to say, hey, sit on the beanbag. Most of the time he sits on it by himself. He comes 9-0. He can't stop in time. (laughs) He cow kicks and he kicks out. Then does a half circle, sits on the beanbag, and I'm a little out of air and I sit down next to double image. And Dan's like, because I don't normally would sit next to him. Normally I'd be standing and I'd be like, hey, you know, there he is. Oh, he's just turned up late, funnily enough. And James would be like, oh, he's lazy like his owner and would go through this whole thing. But I'm not quite doing the thing that we're supposed to do. Because when he cow kicked, he kicked me. He kicked you right the king gangs. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> in that manhood or something. But he kicked me in the genitals. Just, just slightly. Just Enough that. that, you know, when you, oh. for the guy listeners out there that you know that it's been connected and you just don't know how bad it is until the next few moments. And it's bad enough. It gets worse and worse to the point that I can't really want to stand. I want to sit. <laughs> and I want Dan James. I will talk. talk. I want Dan James to continue without me. So I sit on this beanbag with the horse and I'm sitting there. I'm like, and Dan doesn't know. He missed that part. And he's just like, come on, Steers, like, come on. Like, this is improvising, but you're not really doing anything. And he's trying to like, I'm like, just give me a minute. Just give me a minute and carry on. You know, I'm trying to do that. <laughs> but instead I'm sitting there going, <sighs> <laughs> trying to catch some breath. And Double Image is sitting like a champ. Like, he's just thinking, like, he's undefeated. <laughs> he was smiling. He's like, yeah, 13 and 0. You know, it's like, I can't be defeated. So he's sitting down and I'm trying to catch my air. And anyway, we go through the whole show. And at the end of the show, I've got to come clean to Dan. I say to Dan, I say, you know, this is what happened. That's why I did that. And he's like, 
So you're still part of the show. You tell the, the crowd. Show. So I ended up coming in. We finished. We're professionals. As much as it doesn't sound like we are, we finished the show. So I come out of the show and that's what I'm telling Dan. I'm like, I just got kicked and I told him where. And it was just like just briskly. And he wasn't kicking at me. He was kicking out. I was just in a bad position. And this is what happened. And so anyway, he's like, I so wish I would have seen that because I would have called you out on it. <laughs> I'm like, that was one of the first times I was like, oh, really? Thanks, buddy. Like, <laughs> he's like, oh, I just so wish I knew that that would have happened because he would have brought that up in front of everybody else who may have missed it. Some people may have seen it. I some was people say, a lot of the audience would have known anyway. Some would have, some wouldn't have. It was very quick and you might have just, it would have been one, it was just like just a touch, but you know when you get touched in a bad he's spot. He's obviously got an extraordinary aim. Yes, well, if he was, he hasn't done it again, mind you. Maybe I'll be more mindful. So it goes into that, keeps continuing with Melbourne. There's a couple other little funny things there. One of them was like Ari, so Dan Stallion, we still get these horses get neck massage like every day, once or twice a day, and they start feeling really good. And so uh, motorbikes are in this show as well and other things. So there's jumps. There's all sorts of other obstacles that aren't a part of your show that's out in the arena that you've got to dodge. And Dan does something liberty with his stallion, Ari, and Ari just takes off in one of these shows. And I mean, he just gallops, but he's galloping out of freshness, not out of, I don't want to be there, out of, I feel good. And normally when Ari would do that, he would only do it for like short bursts. And he's then a quarter he, horse. He yeah. doesn't want to go too hard. Then he'd come back and be like, oh yeah, I'm over it. This time he doesn't. He just like keeps going and go. And I used to have a few gags that I would say because I was used to it, but I use those gags and he's still going. He's still going around. <laughs> and double image is like, he's a stallion as well. So he's, he's, like, he's starting to puff up thinking maybe I should join him. So we used to have these white halters, which was a Heath Harris thing on him. And I grabbed him by the halter. I'm holding him now. Like he's going to leave too. And we're going to have two stallions galloping around this arena. I didn't know what to do in this show that this horse isn't coming back. I just took him to the public and started letting them pat double image. Just audience were coming down. This is a show that we're just like, sorry to interrupt the show, but... This horse doesn't want to be a part of it. And if you want to continue to stay, <laughs> come on down and pat this other stallion while we just get him. And he was just, all I remember was just galloping around. And it's like, Harry would have loved it. He would have been just laughing. I'm just like, this is cool. Yeah, it's getting less cool. And he'd go around again and be like, nah, it's time to come in. He still hasn't come in. <laughs> Do you remember that, James? <laughs> Mate, I try to put those things in the back of my mind, but. Thank you for bringing that back up. <laughs> well, it wasn't the only thing. And it was just like, all I was trying to do is probably, I guess, highlight, say, Equisage, for example, because those horses felt good. He could have left that arena. It wasn't like he didn't want to be there. He could have just gone, oh, I'm going. I don't feel well, I'm going. He was just feeling so good, which leads me to another time that Double Image, and you might not have been there, James, but Pierre is normally the one that releases Double Image into the arena and he would come galloping towards me and sits on the beanbag. And as you know, when you release horses, there's a technique to it and there's a routine to it. So she had to go back and do her vet job. So we only had a couple of days left of the event and we got this new girl that we just met while we we're on the road and she's practicing releasing double image. And in the warm up arena, it wasn't fenced at Melbourne. It was just like, if it was a show jumping day, there was show jumpers there. If it was a hack day, there's hacks. If it's whatever days there, stock horses, stock horses. And she only just practicing releasing double image to me in a very short distance. She's letting him go early. She's letting him go late. She's just doing it all wrong. And eventually 
he just has enough and he pulls away from her and runs the opposite direction to both of us. And he runs into Sideshow Alley. He just runs up the hill. It's bitumen. He's got four sets of shoes on and he gallops away from us. And I'm just watching my own horse, double image, go into the public and just leave. I'm like, okay, into the, like I said, state fair, the Melbourne Royal Show. He goes over this hill where these stables are. And we go back there for Equitana. So desperately searching for the beanbag. And was, I'm like, oh, oh. And I don't know what to do. So I whistle because that's normally his comeback to me, Q. But I can't see him and I don't know if it's going to work. So I'm just whistling, whistling. He comes galloping back over the hill and I'm just seeing him. I'm like, he's going to fall over. He's galloping with metal shoes on, on bitumen. He comes over the hill, back into so the you're not open. worried about the kids in the side well, What are you going to do? I don't know where he is, mate. He's already killed four of them. Well, I don't know that. <laughs> I just want him to come back. He comes galloping back down the hill into the arena and it's a show jumping. So everyone's show jumping, practicing. He comes back in. That would have been thrilled. And he lays down right in front of me like I'm the <laughs> boss. I'm just like, yeah. That was on purpose, everybody. Like, okay. Put your punk ass down there, or so Yeah. Well, I wouldn't call him that, Kim. It's a bit harsh. Yeah, I'll <laughs> beep that out. <laughs> so anyway, I'm like, okay, you just I'm telling this girl, you just got to do it right. Like he just got clearly frustrated. So anyway, later on, we're going by and somebody is talking and I overhear him and they said, I was washing my horse off in the wash bay up on the hill there and this horse just came running up. No one was with him. And they just stopped and he stood there and he was there for a while and he's just looking around and then he just galloped away. <laughs> and they didn't know what was going on. They just imagine that you're sitting in there in the wash bay and you see this statue of a horse just standing there looking about and it's like, and they said he's just in the public and there's people so all around. So were they telling him. you that? No, they were telling somebody else. They were just telling a story and I overheard it. I'm like, that sounds like my horse. That's where he went. That's as far <laughs> as he went. And then he just turned and galloped away. And I'm like, that's when he came back. So you didn't claim it as a training moment and kind I of say, mortified. I sent him all that way up there oh, and then no. whistled him back. I was just grateful, absolutely grateful. If you remember the other thing that happened at Melbourne Royal with the Roman Nighting Act, because remember we started doing it where you would jump into the trailer first with double image. Oh, from, riding him, yeah, from that's under right. Saddle. Yeah, so you would jump in first and then you would stand at the back, like tailgated the trailer while I was coming around on the Roman riding horses. And remember the one night at Melbourne, the rain broke. I turned the corner and I pulled on the right rein and the rain broke. The one rain broke, yes, now I do, yeah. Yeah, and I come around and like I had that moment, because this is before I started the Liberty Roman riding on, and I've got Amelia and Polo. And I come around that corner, had a can of pull the rain, the rain's broken. And I've still got to jump into the back of the trailer. And there's like, it's at that moment, like, we've got no communication to, like, who's driving the trailer. It's not like, oh, we're not going to do that part tonight. And I remember getting right to the end of the, like, because it wasn't a tailgate. It was just a step up. And I'm chasing a trailer. And I, like, signal to you. And I'm like, oi. And I lift up on the right rein, which is doing nothing. And I'm like, well, what should I do? And you're like, look around. You're like, I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> Good well, support. Oh my, it doesn't affect me. I'm already in the trailer. <laughs> What's it going to do to me? I'm just like, because I remember you pulling and it was just pulling that horse's head around the other way because you only had one rein still connected. But you still did it. I mean, when you did that jump into there, people probably don't realize when they saw that, A, the degree of difficulty, like it was so hard to set up. 
You could set it up for a video where you got everything right and then say you're approaching the float and it didn't feel right, like the rain broke or something. You go, no, no, I'm not going to do it now. So you'd go off and set them back up or the vehicle's going too fast or whatever or the horses don't want to jump. But to do it in a live show... I mean, it was something that you did for probably only about 18 months. It wasn't a hell of a long time because it was so hard. I was so glad when we stopped. And it was always under light. You never knew what the weather was going to be like. Yeah, exactly. It was never daytime. I think maybe in Melbourne and Quintana we might have done, we pulled out. Remember they asked us to do like an impromptu show outdoors, which I hadn't done before in Melbourne the next year. Yeah, it would have been 2010. We went to Melbourne and it was like, hey, boys, we need something out in this outdoor, which was the same venue as the Melbourne Royal. And we went out there and you did the Roman riding into the trailer and I had Bobby and I had Casey and we did the double image and we jumped the beam. We did all our big stuff there. And we'll talk about that a bit more in the next episode. But that was like a really big turning point for Equitana. Like, hey, these boys are the real deal. It's probably time for us to make a bit of a wrap on this podcast. And I think it's been sensational. What about you, Kim? Yeah, yeah. I'm enlightened again. I'm loving it. Yeah, like it's going to be interesting because we're getting closer to your timeline. So for a lot of these stories is new to you and that's why I'm getting I'm getting heaps of this feedback from people that are listening. Like I said, my brother and a bunch of other people that have got on board and listened and was just like, I haven't heard these stories and it's really cool to hear them now because they sort of see us now and pay attention, but they might not have paid attention to us in 2009 <laughs> and knew what we're up to. When they thought we were still just going through a phase, Well, family, (laughs) certainly. I think that was the case. But the next episode's following on. 2010 is bigger. Like it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So it's exciting to know what we're going to get to and refreshing it with Dan James. Like we would have conversations about some of these stories, but like I'd forgotten about the rain getting broken and there's heaps of other parts that he remembers that I don't and there's things that I I remember. I think he and I need to have a few words and recollect a few more things. I ratted myself out about yeah. a couple of things. I don't know that you ratted yourself out. Listen, kind 2010, of- next episode, Dan, I'll give you the floor and you can tell them about Walmart. Walmart or the drive home past the horse park? Well, that's both, I guess. That's 2010. They're both in 2010. The big one in 2010 is getting tattooed. Oh, see, got tattooed. There's lots of stuff in 2010, so we might have to do a double episode. (laughs) This could even turn into a double episode yet. But there's something that I didn't go back on, which I'm going to have to fit in in another episode that I just tacked on to here, which was the Dine and Dash that Dan James may or may not have been involved in in 2007. I'm going to say. But anyway, the Don and Dash, I'm going to bring up as well. But we can't fit it all in now. So for you guys listening, make sure that you keep up to date with the episodes because we're just going to keep continuing on. It's been an absolute pleasure to go through 2009 with you both. I think we've done a good job. What about you boys? Spectacular, mate. Good line on the timeline. The input from Kim is sensational. I think that he's the glue right now that helping this whole deal together, keeping us, helping you keep us on track. (laughs) You've been a bit generous, but love to all the James clan, mate. We'll catch you up next one. All right. Thanks for having me on board, Dan, and we'll talk soon. See you guys.